Hello and welcome to Exit the Echoes. My name is Justin Herb and I want to take a quick moment to explain what to expect from this podcast. Now I'm doing this episode solo, but hopefully soon my brother Jeremy will be able to join me. Until then, let me explain the premise. We've noticed, as I'm sure most everyone has, that some of the biggest issues of our time have become siloed. And by that, I mean the nuances of any given topic have been largely glossed over in favor of simple categories that we place people into. And then when these isolated opinions attempt to have a public debate or conversation, real communication can be all but impossible as both sides have dug in their heels. This, of course, doesn't stop at only major topics, say like global warming or the importance of vegan diets, but it extends to much more local and personal topics as well. So we would go as far to say that this silo effect has had an impact as deep as our psyche and our self-image. At Exit the Echoes, we believe that by shining a light on the hidden nuances of any given situation, we can at the very least begin to loosen our grip on conclusions and therein be able to truly understand our neighbors. Because let's face it, if we can't work together, it doesn't matter who is in office or what legislation it gets passed, we're doomed. Our aim is to bring opposing viewpoints together by presenting them in an honest way to those who disagree, thereby putting out some of this fire so that we can see one another. If siloed mindsets are not going to be effective at rationally discussing complex topics without erupting, then think of this podcast as an attempt to mediate those discussions. Our aim is to show how viewpoints come together so that the listener can make a more sound decision, not so that we can force one opinion or the other. Now, that being said, we're not going to tout ourselves as fair and balanced. Why, you ask? Well, because by attempting to represent both opinions as equally valid, we end up lukewarm. No, we're not going to actively try tipping the public opinion one way or the other, but we are going to be upfront when the issue strikes us as damaging to our shared community together. So these are two main focus points for the show, and the third is a new form of reporting. Now, we're not the first to try this, but we would like to try a different format for news and storytelling. We feel like the news cycle has a problem right there in the name, cycle because we get inundated with superficial details of a given topic and then we just move on to the next. But we all know the world doesn't work like that. The people affected by the stories that we hear are still in those situations long after the story breaks. So instead, what we wanna to try to do is when we dive into a story, we're gonna follow that story as long as the issue remains relevant. So you might see the same issue come up a number of times in our episodes. That's because we believe that seeing how events around us weave us together, how they're not isolated, how it's connected. We believe seeing that will only serve to connect us. Now with that, let's dive into gun control. Now, I'm aiming to represent the helpful aspects of both arguments, but I have yet to find a source that I can sit down and interview and discuss all the counterpoints with. So I'm keeping a lookout for it, but for right now, just know that I haven't reached that point yet. What I wanted to do was just raise a couple points that I thought were very relevant to this issue, as it is, again, sadly, in our political discussion. 
and likely will soon be in our legislative ones. So I'm not trying to say that the points presented here are definitive solutions to the problem, because this is a complex issue with many, many factors to consider. But what I'm asking is for you to just let these factors that I present play a part in your considerations. In light of recent events, many have advocated for the arming of school teachers. This, it would seem, is born out of a pretty straightforward concept that the fastest way to stop a gunman is with a ready gun that's on the scene. And this argument seems to bear out because of course the quickest one to be able to respond in a situation is one in the middle of the situation. Now, let's imagine a hypothetical scene in a classroom with a teacher, students, and an armed trained police officer at the door of the room. Now, everyone in the room hears the sharp crack of gunfire echo in the halls. As silence falls in the room, they hear screams of panic and chaos coming from outside. As the teacher gathers all the students in the corner furthest from the door, the police officer begins to turn just as he sees a student coming through the doorway. And then at this point, everything starts to move in slow motion. Now pause. This is the best case scenario within the worst case scenario, right? A trained and armed police officer already at the scene. There's no need to wait and call 911 or wait for cops to arrive. This scenario is what seemed to be playing out in many people's minds if only we get rid of the officer and pass their weapon to the teacher. So while we're paused at this moment, let's look at some details regarding trained police and how they relate to firing their weapons. Data for the New York Police Department regarding the accuracy with which the trained police officers were able to fire their weapon was just 18%. This is according to Police Policy Studies Council. And then those stats get worse when we're talking about handguns. Now keep in mind, these are NYPD police officers. Of course, there's much to be said about improving the regular training for the officers, but the bigger point here is that officers are officers full-time. This isn't a secondary responsibility to some other job. This is their focus. And in the field, when using their weapons in real-life situations, they only hit about 18 to 19 percent of the time. So now I want to talk a bit about the experiences of some highly trained officers in real life or death moments in the field. I just listened to the audiobook Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, and in there he vividly recounts the stories of certain officers in these intense moments. Now Blink isn't arguing for or against gun laws, but the stories told by the officers in there I feel are really important to this specific discussion. One officer, he tells of a time that he encountered a young man while on duty. The boy's standing there with his back to him. The rest of his buddies have run off, but the boy's hands are in front of him. The police officer has his gun raised and he's giving very clear instructions to this boy, telling him to put his hands up, turn around. But the boy isn't responding. He's shifting. He's got his hand in his pocket reaching for something. And remember that in this moment, the police officer's brain is on overdrive. Everything is moving in slow motion with intense focus. 
because he's trying to determine if that boy has a weapon. And sure enough, as the boy turns around, he pulls a silver pistol from his waistband. And now we're going to move in slower, slow motion. The police officer sees the pistol at the boy's side, and he sees the look of fear on the boy's face. And he still isn't shooting this boy, still giving commands. And the boy raises the gun, his direction, gets to about waist level. The police officer still has not shot him. And at that last moment, the boy drops the gun. And in the recount of this story in the book, the police officer says that he's noticing all these little nuances throughout the situation, but something just below conscious awareness is telling him he doesn't need to shoot yet. Again, this is a trained, highly vigilant officer. Now, Keith Payne, a doctor of psychology, he showed in an experiment that if he primed individuals with the image of a black person's face and then asked them to properly identify these images of a gun or a wrench, the subjects could pretty quickly and correctly identify the image as either a gun or a wrench when they moved at their own pace. But Gladwell points out in his book that once the subjects were forced to identify the image as a wrench or a gun within a time constraint, which was about half a second after being primed with a blackface picture, they started to accidentally identify the wrench as a gun. Now, back to our hypothetical classroom. The children are huddled in a corner. The teacher's bent over them using her body as a shield, and the cop, mid-turn, sees a student come through the doorway. Now, the trained professional, weapon drawn, has milliseconds to determine if this child is the armed one, if they're a threat. So now at this moment, let's consider the solution that's proposed by some, arming the teacher. Swap out the trained police officer for the teacher that was bent over the children. Now keep in mind, her main job is teaching. That's her focus. Now she has to also learn to use a firearm. Use that firearm indoors and using that firearm indoors around frantic children and what's more is that now she's the one that has to make a life or death decision in milliseconds not the trained professional that's done this out in the field it's the teacher and they may have all kinds of existing notions about the kids she sees in the halls she might even suspect a certain kid already of being the shooter so primed by the categories that her brain places her immediate suspects into, she must now decide cell phone or pistol, look of fear or aggression, gun or wrench. So what's the end all solution to the problem? Honestly, I don't know. Will more gun control laws work to solve these problems? I don't know. I don't know enough about any current proposed legislation to advocate for or against it. And what's more is there are many cases that don't get as much attention where a random bystander or passerby happens to be armed and happens to be potentially the only solution to thwart some event from happening. In these specific cases, it was actually beneficial that the civilian did have a weapon. One way though to consider what can be done to prevent acts of terrorism, like school shootings, is to consider the classroom image we presented earlier, and then rewind. 
as you go back, pay close attention to details that we can actually control in the scenario. Now, we could obviously control the training that either the armed cop or the armed teacher receives. That's true. We can't, however, exert control over the mental and physical response that a moderately trained individual might have to this situation. Now note, I'm saying moderate because this is not the teacher's main focus. We could only call them highly trained professionals if they were highly trained professionals such as cops. So we have to be fair to the situation and say that these will be moderately trained individuals. So moving further back, we could control the emergency measures that's utilized by the school. Maybe we could even have bulletproof doors as one of the individuals involved in the Parkland shooting was actually shot repeatedly through a door. Now, we can't control what the child shooter might decide to do in light of their emotional state. Now, that's not to say that we can't help or assist in reconciling the way that the child feels, but we can, however, control the means by which they acquired a gun. Consider this, for example. Are we in favor of laws that prevent unstable and dangerous people from having a gun? That seems reasonable. As a matter of fact, the spokeswoman for the NRA said as much at her hearing in the wake of Parkland. These laws are called red flag laws, and they were born out of a school shooting incident because the parents of a disturbed child repeatedly notified police that their child was dangerous. But due to a lack of legal right, the cops couldn't take away the guns. And then he went on to commit this act of terrorism, a school shooting. So the way a red flag law works is after the police are notified of the situation, they have to make a case before a judge. And then if granted approval, then they're allowed to temporarily remove the weapons from the individual. So this seems like a pretty reasonable step. But guess who opposed the red flag law? The NRA. Now, I'm not trying to draw broader conclusions about the NRA, but I'm just saying pay close attention because there's so much more going on. Now, the point here is this. We have to keep these nuances in mind when we listen to our preferred news or media outlet because we know it's common knowledge. Nuance and detail don't sell stories. We all know this. It's the nature of the beast to simplify and categorize these really dynamic situations into easily understood and classifiable labels. But if we hope to have a real impact on any legislation that will eventually be the laws we have to adhere to, then we have to pay closer attention and loosen our grip on the assumptions that we hold. So with that, I want to say thank you for listening to the first official full-length episode of Exit the Echoes podcast. And again, just remember that there's so much more going on in any given situation. And the only real way forward is for us to understand these nuances and to listen and understand one another. Thank you.